Please stand for the reading of God's word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of, oh, today we're reading Isaiah uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of, of the Lord. And, this, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his, of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and the child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall, shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, uh, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Uh, this is God's word. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Happy New Year. Thank you again, Rob, for reading. <clears throat> I consider it a privilege to preach to you the first message of 2023. And as we've been hearing this morning already, around this time, uh, topics which come up are ones about resolution and review. You either look ahead or look backwards. You look ahead with aspirations and goals. For what's to come, you might look back and consider everything that took place in 2022, and both are worthwhile exercises. Uh, today, we're going to look forward, way forward, with an eternal perspective and eternal hope. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we come before you today as people who want to listen, who want to receive from you. You tell us that the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word will stand forever. May these enduring words from Isaiah 11 make a difference in our lives. God, I ask that you work in the minds and hearts of all who hear these words. Hope that you would give my words meaning, that you would apply them as needed for each of these people as only you know how to do. Help us see again, or for the first time, how you are our hope in hard times. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Throughout our lives, we encounter messy situations. And if you have kids, you know this, like when I leave my one-year-old alone at the table to eat spaghetti just for one minute, and the next thing you know, there's no food on the plate because uh, all of it has been artfully scattered on walls and tables and floors. 
it's, it's you step away and then you come back into the room and your, your heart sinks a little bit because you get a sense of dread. You wonder, how did this happen and um, how am I going to fix it, right? Uh, but that sense of dread and, and burden can feel worse if, if you've caused the mess. For example, it's, it's when that one seemingly small sin snowballs into something larger. You might start with a lie, but then have to buttress that lie with another lie. By the end of it, you're caught up in this exhausting situation, having to maintain this web that's messy. Sin has the potential not only to create messy situations, but to exacerbate them. It's like trying to wash dirty dishes with engine oil. Things are not going to get better. If you open up to the first pages of the book of Isaiah, something that you'll notice pretty quickly is that Judah is in a messy situation of their own making. Sin has snowballed among God's people, and God has noticed. And God cannot let them live without consequence. And as he goes on to reveal, God will use other nations to judge his own nation. Things are messy. Yet despite the difficult situations his people face, he provides glimmers of hope. Yes, his people are going to get beat down, but they're not going to be buried. God assures them that someone is going to come and make things right. It's a promise. And it's a promise that you and I still need today. Because hard, messy circumstances still afflict us. And such circumstances can be the result not only of our own failings, but also the result of simply living in a fallen world. Such a promise serves as an enduring hope. But as Isaiah describes to us, this hope is not merely some desirable virtue to have, but this hope is a person, this promised person, who is not only a unique king, but will also reign over a unique kingdom. Such a promise is intended for us to grasp onto in the mess of our lives. And that brings us to the one thing I want you to remember today. <clears throat> when life gets messy, fix your hope on the root of Jesse. When life gets messy, fix your hope on the root of Jesse. Now, my aim, to, my aim today is to demonstrate to you why, why this root of Jesse is the one you ought to place all your hope in. Towards that end, we'll take our passage in two parts. It's very simple. The first part, we'll consider the kind of king he is, the kind of king this root of Jesse is, and the second part, considering the kind of kingdom he rules over. So the kind of king, the kind of kingdom. But before we get into it, we need to back up a few verses into chapter 10, because before chapter 11, God has already been chopping it up, and we would do well to consider what has just been said, especially because the promise in chapter 11 continues the imagery in chapter 10. Here's how the CSB puts it. This is chapter 10, verses 33 to 34. It says, Look, the Lord God of armies will chop off the branches with terrifying power, and the tall trees will be cut down, the high trees felled. He is clearing the thickets of the forest with an axe, <clears throat> and Lebanon with its majesty will fall. 
So again, up until chapter 11, there has been a lot of talk about judgment, and Israel is not the only one who receive it. This judgment, this chopping, is also for the guilty nations. But the difference in light of chapter 11 is that every dynasty will be left with dead stumps. But that is not the case for God's people. Although every tree will be cut down, life will persist through this stump of Jesse. And with that said, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Isaiah says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. A number of things here to notice as we get started. First of all, just we're on the same page. We're dealing with prophecy. Uh, and that may seem obvious, but what kind? You know, there's foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling is concerning uh, speaking out God's word, telling God's message. Uh, uh, foretelling, of course, is revealing God's will for the future. It's predictive. Our chapter is a foretelling chapter. It's a predictive chapter. You notice this just when you heard Raph read the passage. You hear, shall, shall, shall. It's all in the future. Well, also, as we open chapter 11... We have to ask ourselves, who is Jesse? Who's Jesse? And why does Jesse matter for this person? And to answer that, I want to read the final verses of a different book, a small but beautiful little book called Ruth. That's how it ends. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And it was David who God made a covenant with, telling him, quote, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, end quote. The shoot of Jesse is none other than the promised offspring that God promised to David. And so to invoke, to invoke the name of Jesse is to invoke the covenant promise of David, a king to come who will reign forever, which is, again, rather significant to these people, Judah. Remember, Israel, Judah is in a messy situation right now. They're being cut down because of their sin. And especially in the midst of affliction, you could very easily picture these people asking themselves, is this the end? Could this be the end? Or as one author puts it, will the Lord keep his promises? God said we'd have a king and a kingdom, but it feels like we're finished. Uh, Verse 1 is part of God's answer to that question. God's promise for a Davidic king remains. And that's good news. And all of that, again, helps us understand the kind of king he is. It's not just any king belonging to any family. This king in Isaiah 11 is the promised king. Okay, that's verse 1. Verse (laughs) 2. And we'll look at verses 2 through 5. And we'll see, again, the kind of king he is through these descriptions. Verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now in here, what we see is, in verses 2 to 5, 
is the relationship between this king and God and then the relationship between the king and others. So we're starting with the relationship this king has with God. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. It's very short, but it's significant. In the Old Testament, there are many instances of the spirit of God falling and indwelling people for a time for a specific purpose. But there's only three people, other people in the Old Testament, who receive a permanent spirit and dwelling. Those are Moses, Joshua, and David. Isaiah here describes to God's people, there will come another. Only this one to come is in many ways better than Moses, Joshua, and David. In three ways at least, which is what we go on to read in verse 2. We see this threefold fullness of the Spirit. Again, he will have God's wisdom and understanding, God's counsel and might, and God's knowledge. And taken all together, the sense we are left with is that this is God's king. No such descriptions were given to men like Moses, Joshua, and David. And in verse 3, we see that the king delights in God, the fear of the Lord. Okay, that's the king's relation to God. How about his relation to others? We know that people of authority wield authority. And a metric for whether or not someone is a good leader is how they handle it, handle that authority. And in verses 3 to 5, we see someone described who rules with utmost integrity. He acts with righteousness and equity. He rightly punishes the wicked and so forth. Verse 5 confirms this all the more. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. One scholar commentating on this says, These characteristics are the king's most intimate garments. When you strip everything away, this is what you find. They're the core characteristics of the king. And for people living under hard circumstances, brought about in part by imperfect kings, it's good news. If you look at the very first verse of Isaiah, we read that the prophet received visions concerning the kings of Uzziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And of that list, Ahaz was the worst, and Hezekiah was the best. But they were all imperfect, and none of them were the promised Davidic king. Okay, we're jumping ahead a bit, but look at verse 10 with me. Again, we're considering his relation to God and then his relation to others. Isaiah tells us, Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In the Old Testament, we encounter these sorts of promises of God's magnetism, where the nations are drawn to himself. That's what we come across here. And these promises describe something that goes beyond Israel or Judah. When the king sets up his home, it will be a resting place not only for Judah or Israel, but the world. So this root of Jesse is the promised king of David. He is the spirit-endowed one who will reign righteously over his people, a people from all nations, from all over the world. And with every description, Isaiah describes someone greater than Judah has ever known to give them hope. That's the purpose. And again, today, this promised shoot of Jesse remains our hope amidst affliction. And so the takeaway here is very simple. The king is coming. Hope in the king. 
The king is coming, hope in the king. These first five verses, they're not just interesting phrases to be studied. They aren't given only for Judah. We need to hope in this king too. Whatever plans we make for our lives, however we conceptualize our futures, if it doesn't include the root of Jesse, they are lacking. Our future is lacking. Whatever hope we place in other future things is fragile. What assurance do we really have that anything we hope to accomplish will come true or that we hope to attain? What are our futures dependent on? Wealth, security, relationships, children, happiness? None of it is guaranteed. Today, at least in our culture, it's not uncommon to hear advice which appeals to the future for how people live in the present. And this, of course, isn't inherently wrong. There's wisdom in planning for things. But what I have in mind goes something like this. You know, as a child, you are told to focus on your studies. And although it can be difficult at times, the future hope that we tell our students is that it's all worth it because they will get into a good school or get a good scholarship. And then once they're in school and things get hard, what do we tell them? Continue to endure because there is future hope that once you graduate, you'll get a good job. And then once they have that good job and things get really hard, what do we tell them? We might encourage them that you need to endure because an even better job might come or they might have uh, opportunity to retire early. But the danger with this is that when we're so wrapped up in our accomplishments and enduring through to the next stage, if we don't get there, we can feel completely defeated, right? If our hope is bound up in those things. Lord knows there are many students who have unfortunately questioned their self-worth, identity, and more when their education didn't pan out. An overemphasis on future plans and goals can be dangerous because they're not guaranteed. They are not guaranteed. That is not the case with this king. There is no risk of overemphasizing the future significance of the root of Jesse. Because we do have a guarantee that this root of Jesse will come. Why can we say there's a guarantee? Because he's come once already. And before we go any further, we need to talk about who this root of Jesse is. For Isaiah's readers, they could not know, they did not know, but for us there is no mystery. The king came once, and his name is Jesus. And although he reigns right now, we still hope for the day that he comes again and sets everything right. And at this moment, I want to walk through some New Testament passages just to corroborate this all the more. On the first pages of the New Testament, we encounter a genealogy. And that genealogy is truly remarkable. There's so much that we could say there. But of the things that stand out when you read those words is how Matthew emphasizes Jesus' relation to David. The very first words do this. Matthew opens his book saying, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's a significant introduction. Uh, with just two names, Matthew has recalled two covenants. Again, more could be said there, but you see the link that Matthew makes between Jesus and David. And as Jesus is born and then begins his ministry, others confirm that he is the promised descendant of David. At one point, Jesus is passing by a pair of blind men who cry out to him saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. 
And later, what is known as the triumphal entry, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and is met with praises, with people saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But what folks quickly learn about Jesus is that he's not like other kings. People expected the promised Davidic king to come and conquer and take over. But Jesus' purpose was incomprehensible to people. The king would have to die to secure victory. That's exactly what he did. And being successful and making atonement for sin, he was raised to the right hand of God, where he has already started to execute his reign. And before Stephen is stoned, the scriptures tell us, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But friends, Jesus is not done. He's coming back, and when he does, he'll restore all things, all things new, establishing his rule and reign in a visible way forever. If you spent any time in the book of Revelation, then you know of all the things to come, of final victory, of judgment and peace. And in the final page of that book, Jesus says this. It's Revelation 22. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So even as the New Testament closes, there's absolutely no doubt as to who this root of Jesse is. It's Jesus, and he's coming back. So the principle stands. The king is coming, hoping the king. And we should all want Jesus to come back because as verses 6 to 9 show us, the kind of kingdom Jesus will establish is unlike anything we know. It's unlike anything we know. Right now we know turmoil, pain, suffering, it's messy. But when the root of Jesse returns, the whole world will be transformed. I want to start by reading verses 6 to 9 again, if you look with me in your Bibles. Now as I read this, Try and compose a mental picture of what we're reading here. Verse 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. This passage describes a new world, a transformed world, a place where predator and prey can be together. And we don't have time to examine all of the contrasted scenarios, uh, but there's some observations worth noting. You know, first of all, this passage is striking because it describes new natures. Predators, again, no longer hunt prey. Uh, but more than that, the diet changes. You know, verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Uh, bears and lions will behave differently. They'll be given a new nature. And second, the passage is striking because it's repetition of 
it's mentioned of children and young. Verse 6 is quite the image. How do you picture this one? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, leopard and a goat, calf and the lion, and a child's going to lead them. It seems ridiculous to us, predator and prey together, being led by a child. You know, if you were going to conceive of a messy, dangerous situation, this might be something you come up with. Imagine a zoo where all the doors are left open and a bus full of children are dropped off in the center. That's the premise for some horrible tragedy. But in this new kingdom, in this transformed world, the children are free to play because there is no danger. That is how incredible the kind of kingdom this king will bring. The level of safety and security is unlike anything we know now. And to stress this all the more, Isaiah includes verse 8. Children will play over the hole of the cobra and put their hands in the adder's den. Adder being another kind of snake. Let me ask you this. Can you remember another time Scripture talks about snakes and kids in the Old Testament? I'm thinking Genesis 3, where the curse is given to the serpent. And the curse is between the serpent and the offspring of the woman. One scholar suggests that Isaiah alludes to that curse to point out that in this new kingdom, the curse is lifted. When Jesus completely establishes his kingdom, snakes won't pose any danger to kids. Think about how incredible that is. When the root of Jesse reigns, kids and cobras can play games. That's a world we should look forward to where hurt and destruction don't exist. And the final striking quality of this new kingdom is given in verse 9. It's, a, it's actually an explanation for why this future world is transformed. Isaiah says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This kind of peace described here is not restricted to God's holy mountain. It will be cosmically comprehensive. That's something to look forward to. And here, we need to get personal. We, again, are touching on something that all of us should care about. And we can ask ourselves, do you experience hurt or destruction? Have you faced danger? Have you fallen prey to sin in this life? If so, then you should hope all the more for this king to bring this kingdom Every one of us has had a list of afflictions we've experienced due to sin. It could be our own sin. It could be the hard circumstances we face due to sin. Whatever is on that list, however long your list, they should move us to hope more in this new kingdom, in this this king, especially because that list of ours will keep growing. Things will continue to get messy. And when they do, we would do well to remember that whatever present difficult circumstance we face, it is not the end. There will be a day when the promise is realized, when, as we've read, as I've read so many times before, God will wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, crying, pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is a world to look forward to which brings us to the very simple second takeaway. 
His kingdom is coming. Hope in the king. His kingdom is coming. Hope in the king. Excuse me. All right, before closing, I want to step back and consider, once again, something I brought up before because this is what I want to leave you with. Again, your life, excuse me, my life, this life that we know, it's messy. And as I've tried to point out, it's messy because creation is corrupted by sin. But again, what we have to acknowledge is that just like Judah, you and I have had a part in causing the mess too. But consider how this passage tells us something of God. As we established, God's people have messed up. They're being judged for it. But again, was God's promise ever in doubt? Did human hands ever threaten heaven? No. No matter how bad God's people mess up, God's promise is never at risk. And does that not give you some hope? It's never at risk. Does that not also tell you something of the commitment God has to us, with us, his people? Let's go one step further. The root of Jesse faced hurt and destruction for our mess so that you and I could enter his kingdom where there is neither hurt or destruction. That is good news. The lengths that God will go to preserve his promises are unmatched. The cross demonstrates this. And here I want to say something with crystal clarity, that there is no greater hope than Jesus. No greater hope than Jesus. The kind of world spoken of in Isaiah 11 is not something achievable by human hands. There is no person, coalition, or tactic that can bring about that heavenly outcome. It's only Jesus. And so it's to him that we look to, trust, believe, and hope. So as we enter this new year of 2023, with all of its coming joys and trials, our focus remains the same, to focus on Jesus. So with that said, I will leave you how I started. When life gets messy, fix your hope on the root of Jesse. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words from Isaiah that show us the kind of king that you are. Your integrity, your righteousness, your holiness. We look forward to the day that you come back where what is promised is fulfilled, what is invisible becomes visible. In the meantime, help us to hope in you through every trial, tribulation, every difficult circumstance. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, to keep us going through these hard times. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.